About a house with a door in the floor It's an Elfman movie What's it about? We can never be sure You are listening to the Dare Daniel Podcast Where you send us your most sinister movie dare Such as this one And we suffer the consequences for your amusement I'm Corky McDonald And Banana Royal And with me as always is film critic you know him as Daniel Barnes. Gorky McDonald, they don't call him the best in the business. Thank you. For no reason. There's a reason, probably. They don't call me the best in the business. They don't call you that at no. all. They just yeah. don't call you that. And there's a reason. <laughs> there's a very specific reason. But we won't get into that. Hi, everyone. As Corky said, on this show, the Dare Daniel Podcast, we do your dirty work, you dirty dogs, you, by watching the most unwatchable movies you could imagine. Then we review and rate these movies on our unique system. Run-of-the-mill bad film, we give that one a dare. Double dare is for a truly atrocious movie, and a reverse dare is for a despised movie that we think is actually pretty good. Today on the podcast, we're reviewing Forbidden Zone, the early 1980s cult movie written and directed by Richard Elfman and co-starring Hervé Villachez and Susan Turrell. We're also going to read some movie dares sent in by our listeners, and we offer some final thoughts on recent episodes. But before we get started, Daniel's going to tell us about the beer we'll be drinking during the show. On this show, we have a beer from Heretic Brewing, which is pretty appropriate, considering that Forbidden Zone does co-star the devil. Right. Uh, This is called You Can't Handle the Juice. Of course, it's going to be a New England-style double IPA, 8.5% alcohol by volume. Let me look at the side and read some things. I got no information about this one. Corky, you're still pouring the beer. I'm still opening the beer. You got there first. Your thoughts? Oh, yeah, that's good. That's tropical. Mm-hmm. smooth very very smooth very good i like it. it's a little bit of tart at the end yeah it's juicy it's got some of those it's actually kind of more of a hybridy west coast hazy if you look at i'm seeing you have a glass there and it's actually somewhat clear yeah it looks like a, a lot of hazy IPA, and it has some of those kind of like um a little bit of the piney woody uh, kind of notes you would expect from a west coast ipa so a solid uh beer from heretic brewing it is called, once again, You Can't Handle the Juice. Heretic is located in Fairfield, California. So, you know, next time you're coming back to SAC from the Bay Area, yep. you stop by Fairfield. <laughs> you just Get an In-N-Out burger and bring it into the tasting room there at the Heretic Brewing. They I mean, that's how the city came to be, right? It was that's a stop the over entire on- <laughs> So, Corky, while we're talking about things, while we're on the subject of just things, things and, and talking stuff. and words and, and vocalizing those words, let's read a couple of listener dares. Our listeners, our wonderful, wonderful listeners have been sending these to us through our website. They've been sending it to us through the Schmied. Schmied, as we mentioned on the last episode, is my my shortening of Schmied. Right. Which is already a shortening that I made <laughs> up for social media. <laughs> but I felt, I, fe- I felt, that was just me personally, I felt that took so much time, the Sochmead saying Sochmead. Right. I was like, I don't have time for this. I honestly don't have time for this. And what people don't know is social media is also, you're just shortening socialist medium. <laughs> it's too, you're not even talking about social media. You're talking about a different thing Oh, altogether. no, 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 no. What? Yeah. Face- Facebook? What are you talking about? Yeah. No, no, no. But yeah, they've been sending it to uh, these uh, dares, bad movie dares, or good movie dares that they want us to come out and redeem, maybe. 
They're sending it to us on the Shemitah through our website. So let's read a couple of these. First, Derek comes to us from Ryan L. Terry. Ryan L. Terry, a, a super fan. Super fan. Super fan, Ryan L. Yeah. Terry. He also hosts a podcast. Do you know the name of the podcast? I do not. I know he writes about... Does he host a podcast? Maybe. No. Everybody fucking does right now. He's got a podcast. He's a big horror movie fan. I know that. Loves the horror movie. And that kind of fits in with what we have here. Ryan L. Terry has dared us to watch Elvira. Mistress of the Dark. This is a 1988 movie starring Cassandra Peterson, a.k.a. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, directed by James Signorelli. Why does Ryan L. Terry want us to watch Elvira Colon? Sorry, I should say Elvira Colon, Mistress of the Dark. Ryan says, I am daring you to watch this movie because it's a fish-out-of-water cult classic. Coming out hard. Yeah. Uh, we should mention, though, that I think he said something similar about this to The Beautician and the Beast, <laughs> which we did review, and I don't think we came down on the right side of that Well, one. it depends on what cult you're in. Exactly, right? You join your cult, I'll join my cult, I'll start my cult, you'll start your cult, it's all good. Elvira, Ryan L. Terry continues, is an icon that means so much to the horror and LGBT communities. Her feature film debut typifies the idea of camp and is incredibly watchable. It's equal parts horror, comedy, and satire as it explores the ideas of nonconformity, tradition, acceptance, and resilience. Even people that have not seen her movies or TV show know who she is, and her brand of satirical comedy transcends the ages. And of course, we cannot forget her two biggest trademark assets. I love Elvira for being a sexy and sex-positive role model who is proud of her body, and love that she is a strong-willed woman who dresses how she wants and exudes such confidence. Ryan, you had me. At implying that her breasts are large. <laughs> IMDb synopsis of Elvira Cole, Mistress of the Dark, says, Upon arriving in a small town where she has inherited a rundown mansion, a famous horror hostess, that's your Elvira, ma- uh, battles an evil uncle and townspeople who want her burned at the stake. Quirky, have you seen this movie? No, I have not. So Elvira, if for people who maybe are younger than us, was a character in the 80s, this is Cassandra Peterson, who in real life has red hair, but she wore this sort of giant... I mean, she basically ripped off Vampyra. Yeah. Uh, it's important as she is to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's playing a horror movie hostess. And this was like kind of when 50s nostalgia was kind of big. Like yep. Vincent Price was everywhere in the 80s all of a sudden. So she kind of fit in with that. And eventually went on to like be kind of famous. Like she was in beer commercials and she has her own movie and i kind of did a little research on cassandra peterson who is elvira and she just has one of those like fascinating nomadic entertainment careers yeah so she was a vegas showgirl at the age of 17 moved to italy worked on a fellini movie performed as a lead singer in an italian rock band moved back to the united states toured as the lead of a musical comedy show joined the groundlings which yeah. is the los angeles improvisational group that if you've ever seen a comedy show on television <laughs> you know who the Groundlings are because every person on there was in the Groundlings. And that was all before Elvira. Also, <laughs> that was before Elvira. She also did porn. And porn. I yeah. mean, she's got it all. Yeah. Let's face it. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. I love that Ryan is stumping for this movie not as a watch this, it's garbage. Watch it because he really thinks it's good and he wants more people to see it. That's so I, I, I really dig that. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. Next air comes to us from Matthew Doherty, who dared us China Salesman, one of our favorite episodes. His dare is Snowpiercer. 
That's a 2013 movie directed by Bong Joon-ho. You may have heard of him if you're a movie fan. Just won the Oscar for Parasite. Yeah. Won uh, like 11 Oscars for Parasite. Like he didn't they sweat. Yeah, they did really well. He did all right. Stars Chris Evans, Jamie Bell, Tilda Swinton, and others. Why did Matthew dare us Snowpiercer? First time I watched it, I was underwhelmed by the plot and acting. But the world created feels much larger than what it is supposed to be. Second time I watched it, felt like I was watching a reimagined Matrix where the main character wakes up to his surroundings and forces a system change. Third time, it was different again. Curious to hear your thoughts. The IMDb synopsis for Snowpiercer? In a future where a failed climate change experiment has killed all life except for the lucky few who boarded the Snowpiercer, a train that travels around the globe, a new class system emerges. Dan, you've seen Snowpiercer, yeah? I've actually seen Snowpiercer, like Matthew, I've seen it several times. Mm. Have you seen it? Uh, yeah. Are you a fan? My, yeah, my daughter showed it to me. Um, they really liked it and uh, really wanted me to watch it with them. Nice. Yeah, I was a fan too. I know that, I mean, there's some people who were not big fans of it. I remember a few people had a bad reaction, but I looked it up on the critic sites and it was actually pretty generally well-reviewed. I will say that, kind of like Matthew... Having seen it a few times, I did have kind of slightly different reactions or focused on different things. I, I don't know if that's just because it's kind of a rich film with a lot going on. Yeah. Or just because it, it has all those really strange like mood swings throughout it, you know, in a very Bong Joon-ho kind of uh, way. Yes. Just right. upend genre and upend your expectations. So, yeah, Snowpiercer, I'm a fan. It's out there. I think it's on Netflix. So, if you haven't seen it, give it a watch. I Bong Joon-ho, man. Tilda Swinton gives a fantastic performance in this movie. She's great. Yeah, she's so, she's so amazing in that. Thank you, Matthew Doherty, very much for the dare. And now, our feature presentation. Forbidden Zone. This dare came to us from multiple locations. From a gal walks into a comic shop. Their dare went like this. Look. There are plenty of good reasons to watch this movie. Danny Elfman as the devil, singing Minnie the Moocher. Tattoo as a prince, jumping on any woman that moves. A man with a giant frog head. Obviously the best movie ever made. I dare you to enter the Forbidden Zone, jump into that digestive tract. <laughs> this also came to us from a Sacram Sacramento performer, Alex Shoemaker, who runs the Trash Movie Improv Show. Oh, right. Thank yeah, you, he, Alex. His dare comes to us like this. Wow, where to begin? Danny Elfman not only does the music, but also plays Satan in the sixth dimension. What more could you ask for? Those are the two things I ask for. That's my Christmas movie. list every year. <laughs> That's all I want when a movie starts. IMDb puts it like this. The bizarre and musical tale of a girl who travels to another dimension through the gateway found in her family's basement. So yes, released in 1982, our movie this week is Forbidden Zone, written and directed by Richard Elfman. He is the brother of Danny Elfman. And to explain this film, we kind of need to actually start with the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo, you have that right. This is a musical theater troupe formed by Richard Elfman and featuring his little brother, Danny. And Forbidden Zone kind of gives you an idea of, of kind of what their live shows were like. There was a lot of energy. There was a lot of kind of boundary-pushing content, this mix of experimental and traditional pop music, and then just a lot of, I don't know, I guess vulgarity and scatological comedy uh, that kind of goes on throughout this movie. And the, this film was made during a time of great change for the band. Richard Elfman was ready to leave. He wanted to pursue filmmaking. And after many years of touring with a full theater troupe, Danny Elfman was ready to just be a band and put it in one bus instead of a, a, <laughs> lot, of, a lot of buses. 
uh, move it more of a pop direction. So in 1979, the band would be re- the theater troupe would be rechristened as a band named Oingo Boingo, and they would go on to have hit songs such as "It's a Dead Man's Party," yeah, and "Weird Science." There you go. And that's about the time that Forbidden Zone was made, was during this time of transition. Basically, it's Richard Elfman's farewell to the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. This started as a 16 millimeter musical called The Hercules Family, but the movie expanded. A lot of the scenes that were shot on 16 millimeter were reshot. This was like a passion project for everyone involved. It took several years to make. The paid actors mostly kick their money back into the productions, and there's all these stories of people sleeping on the sets and wearing gorilla costumes to stay warm and things like that. It's a movie that has inspired a lot of great stories over the years, but you kind of wonder about, I mean, who was there to really, Yeah, <laughs> you know right, what right. I mean? You could just say anything you fucking want. Yeah. Go for it. Co-writer Matthew Bright in the film plays Squeeze It and his transgender, I guess, sister Renee. Bright would go on to make Freeway and, of course, another movie that we probably will inevitably review someday on the show called Tiptoes. <laughs> yeah. Went on to make Tiptoes. Is that Freeway, the Reese Witherspoon one? Yes. Oh, yeah. I like that one. I'm not a fan, but uh, it, yeah, whatever. Herve Veliches was Matthew Bright's former roommate. That's how they knew each other. And Susan Tyrell, who is kind of known more for theater, was Veliches's former girlfriend. And Richard Elfman says they would have big fights on set. <laughs> they would argue a lot on set. <laughs> it's just, again, this is just insane. And the film features a lot of members of Elfman's family, members of his band, and then just some kind of weird outsider kind of entertainment. There's Warhol superstar Viva, character actor Joe Spinell, yeah, baby, and the Kipper Kids, which <laughs> we'll get into Christ. it. Christ. We'll get into it. But yes, production took several years. It was the first film scored by Danny Elfman, who would later recycle the main theme of this movie as the opening credits music for Dilbert. That is true. That's bugged out. <laughs> that, yeah. is, that is true. Released in 1982, roundly rejected, but it found a second life as a midnight movie in this kind of midnight movie era of the late 70s, early 80s. You had Rocky Horror Picture Show. You had Eraserhead. You had all Shock of these. Shock therapy. You had all of these just, uh, yeah, uh, Pink Flamingos, all yeah. the John Waters movies and things like that. It was this thing that was really happening and it kind of grew out of the exploitation era and the drive through scene. And yeah, it, it found the second life as a midnight movie and it's still kind of, I mean, it's not a famous movie, but it, it has endured over the years despite the fact that it was obviously shot on a shoestring. 88 on Rotten Tomatoes, only eight reviews. 64 on Metacritic, only five reviews. Corky. Yeah. This uh movie, as I said, it has a reputation that has transcended like 40 years. I had never seen it before. You had never seen it before. Does this movie deserve to have stood the test of time, or is it one that we can put away for a while? Yeah. It's really hard to talk about this movie as a, a movie, mm-hmm. I mean, as opposed to just like a series of musical theater performances filmed and then some shoestring story, yes, uh, pseudo story, yeah, you know, so it's really hard to say you can't say this is good or bad, it's performance art, it, it really is, yeah. They, like I said, it, it's the mix of avant it's like an avant-garde version of a traditional pop or a traditional uh, classic cinema approach sure 
as I was saying earlier, this all kind of started as this experimental theater troupe and, and musical act where they would do these really avant-garde versions of, of Cab Calloway songs and traditional pop songs and things like that. And this is sort of the movie version of that. It does a lot of things that kind of relate to classic cinema and its use of sets and its use of camera movement and its use of special effects and the animation and there's silent movie intertitles, the use of music, the wall-to-wall music. There's a lot of things here that feel like a classic Hollywood movie, but done at a completely insane way and made by completely insane people. Yes. Yeah. Even the lighting, the makeup, he shot in black and white and was going to send each frame over to yes. China to get it colorized and sent yeah. back. And I've seen a little bit of poking around the internet. I've seen some of the like touched up colorization and it looks beautiful interesting but that's only small tight shots mm-hmm. you can't look at the actual set that it was on and say that's beautiful yeah absolutely but the coloring and the makeup and the lighting were really effective yeah absolutely it's very intense and we should say that the the version that i rented which was on hoopla which is the vod service that's tied to the sacramento public library that was a colorized version of the movie. I don't know if that was made with Richard Elfman's consent or anything like that. Oh, shit. But I got about 10 or 15 minutes into it watching this colorized version. I was like, man, this is not – it's not popping for me. So I realized like this needs to be in black and white. So I turned on the grayscale filter on my laptop. And immediately the movie – in color, it just looks like a cheap movie. Yeah. Made on cheap sets with cheap costumes, cheap ideas, <laughs> cheap actors, <laughs> cheap everything. Go to black and white, it's all still cheap, but it feels like a nightmare. It feels uh, just like a deranged nightmare that really has sprung up from some other dimension. You're somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You feel completely displaced. Whereas in the color version, I'm just looking at the crazy eye makeup and the crazy colored sets and how cheap and bad everything looks. Yeah. So again, if I if you see the color version, I highly recommend switch off the color and watch it in black and white. You're going to get such a much better experience out of this movie, but yeah, I will say at the same time I still had some issues. It just it's like you said, it's kind of one note. Mm -hmm. It's just it's super insane. I mean, it's insane. Like this is insane, and I don't just mean like it's quirky. No, it's fucking insane. Make there we will go through this in like a progressive order. Yeah, but that's not going to make any difference to you watching the movie as (laughs) understanding a story or that scenes should even tie together yeah or that we sit there and go okay so now the decapitated head flies back in with angel wings and you're gonna like what the fuck or but chicken wings, even maybe. saying that you don't know that what it is it's a mannequin head quite obviously a mannequin yeah. head on a visible string that le- hits a table and then now we have a close-up of a man talking right. <laughs> so just be prepared yeah absolutely it's it's a crazy movie uh, it, there's a lot of quote-unquote shocking humor and honestly that's where the movie i feel it's just it's cheap. Agreed. It's cheap. It's easy. It's too and it's just it's it's that style. Everything is in that style of like I'm going to I'm going to push your buttons. I'm going to push the boundaries. I'm going to say something about race that is going to like knock you over and then at the same time wants to be like aren't I amazingly daring for mm-hmm. doing this, you know what I mean? And if you come back at me, you're the one who has a problem even though that's yeah. the exact reaction that it, I want to get. It's like Bob Guccione when he took over on Caligula and stuff. It's like Bob Guccione took over Cirque du Soleil <laughs> but then said, "You know what? I'm only giving you the money I have in my pockets right now to make this movie." That's what it's like. <laughs> Absolutely. It definitely it's a kitchen sink approach. Mm-hmm. It's all out there. It is all out there. A for effort, for sure. Execution 
Let's get into it. Yeah. Forbidden Zone. So the first shot is just this very cheap, obviously painted set. Uh, and we see the title, and it says Friday, April 17, 4 p.m., Venice, California. And then there's a very long explanation. Basically, local pimp Huckleberry P. Jones enters a vacant house to stash drugs and finds, quote, a mysterious door. And this starts the first of many just blatantly offensive racial stereotypes. Yep. Intentionally offensive. I mean, again, this movie yeah. is not, this movie is all about like, Where's the line? We don't give a fuck. Like, we are just going to go so far past the line. We're not going to tiptoe past the line. Yeah. We are going to rocket past the line. We're going way too far. So there's a guy in blackface, and it's just so over-the-top ridiculous that it's almost not even offensive because it's just so so insane. And there's there's this jaunty music behind. I mean, Danny Elfman music. It's behind everything, and then it's sped up in fast motion. There's, like, sped up sound effects, voices. Yeah. So it's assaulting all your senses. Yeah, Actually, no, probably just visual and ears. Visual. <laughs> just the t- <laughs> those are those are the two. The taste, but it's hitting them in that. different ways. Uh, yeah. So again, the movie—it's a kitchen sink. There's animation sequences. There's silent movie intertitles. There's fast motion. There's slow motion. There's like it's just all over the place. It just throws it all out there. I, I saw the first sixty seconds of this. I said, "This is a very LA production. <laughs> this is very LA." So basically, Huckleberry something, whatever's in the house, whatever is in the mysterious door that Huckleberry L. Jones finds, it scares the shit out of him. He runs away, and then there's not like this three minute opening credit sequence where we're going down underground. Yeah, we see nuclear waste. We see Atlantis. We see skeletons playing music. Everyone is introduced in, again, what, what is a very old-fashioned movie kind of way to have the opening credits. So we finally end with this. Again, it's a three-minute opening credits again in a movie that's like 74 minutes. <laughs> so like, that's a lot of time to spend on your opening credits. So we meet the Hercules family. Let me tell you something about the Hercules family. They're wacky. Non-traditional. They are wacky. Everyone is wacky. Think wacky, and you have the wacky Hercules family. Corky, describe the Hercules family. Uh, well, everybody's over makeuped. Sure. The child boy named Flash is a 70-year-old man, uh, quite obviously a senior citizen. Yeah, wearing playing, a Cub Scout uniform and one of those and a propeller propeller hats. Then there's Grandpa Hercules, who is a Jewish stereotype. He's got a long black beard. He's got his eyes blackened, and he never talks, but he's supposed to be old and senile. They have to tie him up. Yeah. They always talk about it. They have to tie him up. There's Frenchie, the daughter. She's French for some reason. She's just French. She went to it, French school. And then there's Ma and Pa. And it doesn't come out till later, but the dad is Swedish. He doesn't He's not. doesn't speak Swedish <laughs> this point. He speaks like Cab Calloway. Yes. Every line of dialogue that just goes around this table, and it's all dialogue. Like, the one guy at school has got a, sis, a brother who thinks he's abroad, and the, everybody speaks in like this yeah. Brooklynese. Yeah, except Frenchie except, who speaks. Except for Frenchie. Like, everyone is doing a, a different character it's, bit. It's all over the place. But during dialogue, they cut away like 10 times to different things. Uh, Grandpa getting hit on the head and there's sounds of bongos as he's getting hit. Right. This is while someone else is talking. It cuts away to someone going, yabba, 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 yabba. <laughs> so it's just it's fucking it's random. It's just random as dumb as shit. Yeah, it's just nutty right 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 from the fucking beginning. And there's all this kind of like three stooges as slapstick. 
But in this movie, and this is a strain that goes throughout it, the absurdist humor and the the Three Stooges style slapstick, but it all goes too far. Yes. Like, it's not just somebody gets bonked on the head. Somebody gets bonked on the head, and then, like, their face gets turned into hamburger or something yeah. like that. They get beaten to death, you know what I mean? I saw a review where they said the humor shines through uh, the funny aspects. I was like, I don't think they cared if they were funny. They were like, <laughs> it's the deconstructionist type. So it comes out that they have a door to the sixth dimension in their basement. This is the, the the door that Huckleberry L. or P. Jones went into. And this starts one of the many, many musical numbers that go. There's basically music in the background nonstop mm-hmm. throughout this movie. And it is just like super high energy, super frenetic, super like just fast pace and just like, bah, 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 bah. like mm-hmm. it is just constantly going. But this musical number is basically, it's like a Cab Calloway number that they lip sync to. Josephine Baker is, I think, one of the singing yeah. voices. Yeah. So it's just random as shit. So then we go down and we get this sort of view of the sixth dimension. Just a very brief little view before anyone's actually gone down in there. And it's just kind of this one shot. It's like a a big but still very cheap set. We see Susan Tyrell, who is the queen of the of the sixth dimension. We see the princess, who is just naked all the time topless. and constantly whipping uh, people. Yeah, she's constantly topless. The princess is topless in granny panties, and she's just a little debutante. Everyone's kind of dancing around to this music. There's the frog, the butler who has a frog head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we see Hervé Veliches. He is actually uh, one of the dare say he was a prince. He's actually a king, king, king Fausto. King Fausto. And it's just this kind of like crazy 1930s style musical number. It's not done as well as that would actually be, but it's completely insane. Like if you've seen some of these 30s black and white musicals, they have this intense energy. They yeah. have this crazy oh, yeah. like fantasy feel. Like it's taking place in an alternate dimension almost. Hell's a poppin' feels like you walking <laughs> through hell. Absolutely. It's crazy. It's all over the place. Yeah. So we also see for the first time a group that is known as the Kipper Kids. Oh, my God. Corky, talk about the Kipper well, Kids. Well, Daniel, <laughs> my first experience with the Kipper Kids was I was a young lad in 1980s, late 1980s, and... Bette Midler hosted a thing on HBO called Mondo Biondo, as she played this Mondo Biondo character. And it was the first time I ever noticed what huge boobs uh, Bette Midler had. Right. She's wearing this like low-cut dress. And as a like an 11-year-old, 12-year-old boy, I'm like, oh, there's gonna be nudity. That's good stuff. And it's just a bunch of performance art things that she strings together. And one of them is the Kipper Kids. Yeah. Which she is married to one of the Kipper Kids. One of these guys who they are performance art that's the best thing i could say about them is they're performance artists yeah because they're going to perform and much like art it's just going to do what it does and you are going to have to make your own decisions about it <laughs> yes it makes no sense there is no linear linear structure to it right now they're in jock straps and kind of like ghost paint yeah and they're two bald guys in round glasses but very hairy very hairy yeah except for on top of their head and they are making just fart noises. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're yeah, just yeah, making yeah. guttural noises and fart noises that they have choreographed together. And this is just like, and this, they've had this act since like the 60s or something like that. And I, I'm sorry, I went off with my Mondo Biondo thing. It frightened the fuck out. I thought I was going to see some titties. It frightened the fuck out of me. See yeah, these, you saw these bald farty guys with makeup. And prosthesis on their face, smacking sure. each other. And then in this movie, they're doing their bit. Yeah. And what the fuck is any of this? I can't even. I cannot even. It's just amazing. It really, 
Because, boy, like, they obviously put a lot of work into it. Sure. It's, yeah. it's incredibly well choreographed. Oh, god damn it. It was probably the easiest scenes for Richard Elfman to shoot. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, they were hitting their marks every fucking time, I bet. And yet, holy fuck, what? What? It's this is weird, like, David, like, you know, like, we were talking about Eraserhead of the Midnight Movie School. It's kind of a David Lynchian thing of just... Here's these two mostly naked bald men making fart noises, and they're just doing it with yep. utter conviction. Yep. But oh man, it's just it's weird. So anyway, we see a little bit of that. That's the first time. I I mean, I would say I was not a huge fan of the fart noise guys. No, I've never been happy with the Kipper. I've never said, "Ooh, look, it's the Kipper kids." <laughs> And there's just a lot of, I mean, like I said, there's a lot of offensive jokes, but they're of the derp, derp, derpy, derp, derp, offensive variety. They're not really that this yeah. <laughs> offensive, you know what I mean? Like, they're just so dumb. Oh, God. The kids, like, walk in. We go to school. Yes. The kids are speaking pig Latin. But, yeah, see, th- that's the thing. wacky. It gets to, it, now we're at school, and the girl in a bikini is talking pig Latin walking into school. And when I say walking into school, she's walking to a big cardboard <laughs> backdrop. Yes. And this is where we meet Squeeze It yeah. for the first time. And Squeeze It is just sitting in a trash can. Squeeze It is Matthew Bright, as we said. He would go on to make Tiptoes and Freeway. Squeeze so It's in meet a garbage Sque- can. Yeah, we meet and, Squeeze It. And he gets bullied by two girls who throw he some He gets bullied in by there. everyone. He's everyone. like the most pathetic thing. And everyone calls him Chicken Boy. Yeah, I, he is. I could. Oh, ugh, he is the most, like, it's stuck with me. It's the b- most bothering thing about this movie. Yeah. His line delivery. Yeah. He's got a not unpleasing voice, but his cadence yeah. and line delivery. I'm the most terrified person ever. Oh, I wish I could go. I I'd be while shaking. Oh, and doing chicken arms, doing chicken arms, walking around like a chicken. I mean, the thing about this movie is that everyone, every single person, we kind of talked about it a little bit with Velocipaster, but this goes even more. Everyone's doing an outsized bit. Yes, everyone's doing a big, big. To the rafters bit. But here's the thing. There's literally like two, maybe three people in this movie who are good at doing that. Exactly. Everyone else exactly. is not good at doing no. that, and they're all doing it. So, and Matthew Wright is the worst. Yo, he's the worst. He's absolute worst. I do live performances. I perform on stage. I like seeing live shows. I've done dinner theater, that kind of stuff. If I saw this live, I might even be kind of into it, the commitment sure. and the level of the bit. But the f- choices made by the director in capturing it are not good. No. And the interstitial cutting of everything and sped up stuff, it ruins it. So we go into the school now. And the school, of course, just because everything is a grotesque version of reality, the school, all I mean, all the kids are like adults, <laughs> basically. Yeah. But they're all fighting. They're all doing drugs. One of them is dressed like Hitler. There's all the black kids are pimps. They're shooting dice. They're shooting dice. They go in. He goes. We follow Chicken Boy into school, and you just hear, "Fuck it, I'm gonna, f- gonna fucking kill you. I'll fucking kill you, kid. Kid, I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna fucking kill you." <laughs> so yeah, I mean, this is it. Everything is a grotesque, surreal version. And this is before we're not even in the sixth dimension yet. Nope, we're still in the old regular whatever dimension. The teacher is a man dressed as a woman, heavily made up. Yeah, with like these big fake lips or something like that. Yeah. It, there's another musical number, of course. The man, there's like mannequins that come to life during the musical number. They do swinging ABCs from the Three Stooges. Right. Like a is A, 
B is B, B I, Bicky Bye. But it's like some bastardized version of that. Yeah. The two man, that was the most surprising thing to me was I, there was two guys I saw were mannequins in the back because I'm writing down like who all is in the class. <laughs> then they start dancing. I'm like, holy shit, were those guys there the whole time? No, they were actually mannequins at the beginning. It's called movie magic. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it gotcha, caught you in its sway. So, yeah, then there's this, they're doing Bim Bam Boom, and, like, lips are, like, superimposed onto someone's face. Oh, God, singing bim, bam, that boom. kid is bothersome. Yeah. So, apparently, this is another story that I, I read about. Uh, Richard Elfman has, has talked about this movie in various articles over the years. And apparently, what he says, again, I, some of these stories have to be apocryphal, or at the very least, just exaggerated, but he says that a lot of the extras in this movie, people in the background, are actually just homeless people because they didn't have anybody else to be in the movie. Gotcha. They're shot in, I believe, as you were alluding to, downtown L.A. So yeah. they're just pulling in homeless people off Skid Row onto the onto the movie set. And then apparently this guy came on set and they said, here, just come on here and we'll shoot you. And all you have to do is say bim, bam, boom. And all the guy did was just stand there staring at them. <laughs> and they're like, okay, we'll use it, but now we have to have some, put somebody else's lips on. Oh, that's why. Same bim, bam, boom. It's like the clutch cargo type lips. Yeah, so yeah. it's just it's a really weird thing. But then later, that same guy is seen being beaten with like a plastic uh, baton. It's so like, if yeah. that's true, then what? <laughs> Yikes. So now we go back again and we meet the king and the queen of the Forbidden Zone, a.k.a. the Sixth Dimension. So this is Herve Vliches, uh, uh, best known as Tattoo on Fantasy Island. And it is Susan Tyrell in, like, divine makeup. Like, she is right. way over over yeah. everything. And there's kind of a good visual bit of this man who is the candelabra light yeah he's a candle he's just hanging stretched over there and he's holding onto a candle trying to light them as they're having their dinner so the daughter the king calls her frenchie she has another name i can't remember what it is off the top of my head it's janet or susan or something 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 plain like that but yeah this is frenchie french daughter played by richard elfman's wife at the time frenchie decides she's going to sneak down to the sixth dimension even though her parents forbid her to do it and she goes down there and to get to the f- the farting guys still suck. Yeah, I guess we should talk about that. You have to go down to your basement and and, and then you go through the basement door and then it's like a digestive tract in this very kind of like Terry Gilliam type art. Yeah. So it starts as it seems as like there's a giant underground and you have to pass through this giant because it starts as like a mouth, yeah, which is just these sort of painted flats of a mouth opening up. Then it cuts to the like you said the Monty Python style. People going through intestines back and forth, back and forth, back and forth down the digestive tract, and, and then, then they get pooped out of a butt of a butt, which again is just painted on a there's flat. There's big brown pillows that look like poop. Yeah, exactly. So if you would go down to the dimension, you essentially go through this digestive tract to get pooped out of a giant. So she sneaks down there. The farting guys are still are down there still. The topless princess is there. Uh, the queen's there. She says that Frenchie is, quote, just another slab of meat for my dungeon. But the king, King Fausto, Hervé, falls in love with Frenchie. So this now leads to the queen's big musical number, which was one of my favorite songs in the movie, actually. Maybe just because Susan Tyrell is one of the two or three people in this movie who are actually good at playing big. That's... Like, she's an old kind of theatrical type. Yes, like, and I wrote on here, I was like, 
oh my God, am I liking Susan Tyrell in this movie? <laughs> and I do. I like her performance. I like her over the topness. And I think Divine was a great comparison for yeah. her look and a, and a performance. She's great. So it's this big kind of rock number, and it has the line, I was hatched out of a witch's egg. <laughs> that's, that's good stuff. Hervé, I couldn't tell if he was smoking a blunt or if that's just how cigarettes look in his hands. <laughs> Susan Terrell is grabbing her own boobs yeah. quite often during this oh, number. And, and beyond this number as well. King Fausto has a great line, though, because he's talking about his zombie army and his zombie navy. <laughs> And he says, just wait till those dead babies start marching. <laughs> Which is uh, just a fucking, what? what? That's such a fucking yeah. weird random line. So, Fa- yeah, Fausto has some vague plan that is never really elaborated mm. on to conquer the galaxy or conquer other galaxies. Oh, come on. I, trying to parse the no, story I, I, hey, or anybody's. Yeah, I'm just trying to try for the people at home. <laughs> There was a character we didn't talk about in school who got killed. Johnny killed Billy. Billy comes back later. Sure. (laughs) This is one of about five times that Susan Terrell calls Frenchie a French slit, which I liked. (laughs) Then we get a Hervé Village's Susan Terrell sex scene on the table. Yeah. How about that? He he makes his mentions of like the French master race, and that's why he's in love with, with Frenchie. So yeah, they they have sex on the table. The light, the guy who's hanging over it, kind of strains to watch. But as they are laying next to each other, uh, post coitus, the king has a Frenchy sex dream. Yeah, how the Frenchy was that a dream? A- I thought he went and got her. Thought went and had sex with her because he put her in Sex Dungeon sixty three. Which the title card tells you oh, that's yeah, his yeah. favorite concubine cell. Yeah, but as he's laying next to the queen after they're having sex. Oh, no, that's right. Yes, yeah, He sorry. has this dream where he is saying, Frenchie, ha, the Frenchie. Yeah, I gotcha. This movie's very, very sexed up. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Back to the classroom. More of the same dirty classroom hijinks. It's just kind of obvious yep. stuff. I mean, it's not even as good as like rock and roll high school or anything like no. that. You know, it's just... it's. It's all just a little a little on the easy side for me. Again, A for effort. A for effort. But Flash decides he's going to go rescue Susan. Squeeze it. Uh, refuses to come. He's too scared. So Flash goes and gets Gramps instead. Uh, so they go into the Forbidden Zone. They fall down. And they meet an old Jewish man. Yeah. Who is played by Richard Elfman's father. Grandfather, I thought it was. Was it his grandfather? Yeah, I thought it was a grandfather. Okay. Yeah, I guess that would make more sense. I, I The other thing I liked about this movie was I liked a lot of the Yiddish stuff. I liked the sure. old, the yodeling and all that kind of stuff. And this guy is very much laying on the Jewish moneylender stuff. Oh, sure. Absolutely. But as uh, Richard Elfman said in an interview, he's doing no acting whatsoever. He's not doing a voice. <laughs> that's, <laughs> like, his, that's, that's his grandpa? What, like, that's my grandfather. <laughs> So and he's really good. He's really good. This yeah, guy. yeah. So he he gives them some advice, which I, it doesn't pay off because, as I found later, the version that we saw. I don't know if you stayed for the scenes, but there's a scene after that where he that ties into. He tells them what he tells them to do. Anyway, <laughs> okay. They just cut it out. <laughs> so anyway, they're just wandering around in the dungeon. For the people at home, if you're thinking about watching this movie, let me just as a, as a a caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. If you're not a huge fan of rape humor, yeah, this movie may not have a lot for you, right? 
Not saying it has nothing, but it doesn't have a lot. There are several different characters who make references to rape or rape humor, and it's just accepted. And the the humping, yes. the humping, which the, is like Gramps and Flash, Flash. Every time they see a woman, they run to them and they just hump them and and basically rape them. Yeah, it's a sped up humping. And yeah, they and there's all these like, and it's all like kind of slapsticky, like mm-hmm. everything. Like I said, it's all just over the top. It's all just very offensive. It's all there's just, yeah. There's all there's about there's some level of rape humor in just about every second or third scene. Yeah, the whole thing is it's it's. It's dumb, dumb humor. It's slapstick humor. It's all very low, but it's all like it goes too far. Like it's Mm -hmm. all about rape. It's about murder. It's about torture. It's about all of these. Like it's about racism and homophobia and all these different things. Like it's, it really is like trying to push the envelope. The queen decides she's going to take her revenge because she's decided that King really does like Frenchie. So. Right. Yeah, he stuck Frenchie in cell 63, which is where he keeps all of his concubines. Yeah, and she's going to torture Frenchie um, on a rack? Yeah. Where the topless princess comes in, all the prisoners in the cell start singing. The prisoners are like urging them to torture Frenchie to death. And it looks like the princess goes and charges up a dildo. Yeah, I didn't know it was a dildo until where she starts about to put it. And they're really going to make the scene where they're just going to insert an electrified dildo in this woman. Yes. It's like, holy fuck. Yeah. Wow. I mean, shades of sleepaway camp, though, right? <laughs> With the curling iron. Brutal Hilt stuff. stole from a master. Yeah. He always did. He always but Okay, did. so this is the second movie we've done where a woman is topless completely throughout the movie. For sure. If you had to say mm-hmm. celebrity... Mud wrestling for charity. Sure. Do you take the sorceress or uh-huh. do you take the princess? I'm all in on the sorceress. Sorceress, right? All in. What she showed me in her breakaway speed. Yes. There's a scene where she has breakaway speed. She goes down real quick and she does all of this without anything above of her fucking The topless waist. G-string rope descent is enough right there. Yeah, it's like there, there was rope burns on 45% of her body after that. frustrating in yeah. that shit. That was amazing stuff. And okay. hey, hats off to whoever is this person. Princess <laughs> Giselle something. The princess Giselle. But yes, just as the princess is about to electro-rape Frenchie, the fuse goes out, and Gramps and Flash, who were uh, captured by the frog, and were th- the again the frog butler is he's like a henchman of of the queen. He's yeah. the queen's right hand man, but he's dressed like a butler, and he has a giant frog head. So there you go. Uh, but the, uh, Gramps and Flash they escape from the septic tank where they're being held prisoner. Then there is, I swear to God, a goddamn man in an ape suit bit, just a straight up man in an ape suit bit. But of course, goes too far. Gramps punches the ape's face like into hamburgers. Oh yeah, I remember that. Uh, and then of course Flash finds the imprisoned ex queen. Yep. Deposed by the current queen. Begins humping her. And just immediately begins humping her as she explains her backstory, <laughs> her tragic backstory <laughs> that she was seduced by the queen, even though she's not my type, and has been writing a screenplay in this dungeon ever since to keep her sanity. And she's just saying this as like this seventy-year-old child is. Humping her in a slapstick sort of way. We also forgot to mention that Susan Tyrell's titty popped out. Did it pop out then already? It popped out earlier, and then it pops out. I mean, the pop outs later are just. Okay. I mean, that's an epic pop out. But there was a t- there was a pop out. Okay, I didn't there was catch, a pop out. I caught it. I didn't catch it earlier. Top. I was really watching the ex queen 
makes her exit yeah. by saying, I got to change the Tampax. I'll see you later. I think I think Twelfth Night was the first, <laughs> just be the first reference to, I got to change the Tampax. I'll see you later. <laughs> yeah, the Bard was the first one. Good one. Good one. Then we have a, a next musical bit, and this is where I was like, this song is actually kind of too good, uh-huh. <laughs> so I think it's came from somewhere else. But it's just saying L.A. streets, Pico and Sepulveda, Pico and Sepulveda. Yeah. But this is where you really get that musical theater thing that they were doing. And it's the father and all of the other workers, and they're all going to work at the La Brea Tar Pits Tar Factory, yeah. <laughs> where they all just work around tar. And there's this big musical number, and it's actually... This one's actually pretty well put together. I like, like there's it. obviously some dance choreography yep. going on because it is pretty well pretty well arranged. But uh, it takes about 2 minutes yeah. to get to a uh, blackface man in bed with the wife. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the father, they're all around the tar pit factory. The father smokes a cigarette, throws it in the tar which explodes him into space as an animated figure comes back down through his bed where his wife is with Huckleberry P Jones the pimp. And down through the giant's intestines and into the Forbidden Zone. Good Lord. <laughs> Where he sees fat women eating bananas because of wackiness. And he sees the frog butler having sex with the princess. Yep. Because of, again, wackiness. That's uh, a sentence so he that gets captured. <laughs> so he gets captured. <laughs> So we get this flashback. Squeeze it. We're back to squeeze it now. We get a Why? flashback with squeeze it because we need Joe Spinello in this movie. That's true. Give me something, baby. This is good. Give me something to hang my hat on. So squeeze it is remembering. Is this a flashback? I don't I think it's a flashback. No, it's not I think a flashback. It's squeeze it's home life. Yeah. So squeeze it has before referenced his mother and how his mother is horrible to him, but that's okay. He respects that. He respects that that she's horrible to him, and she comes in and she has this man in a sailor suit, and it's Joe Spinell. Which, if you have seen Rocky, he's the loan shark in Rocky, and if you've seen The Godfather. First two movies. He shot somebody in a revolving door. In the He's Godfather. the guy who did the revolving door hit during the crucif- uh, the uh, crucifixion, <laughs> the christening scene. No, no, no. That was no heart. That's from part two. No, no, no. That's no heart attack. Yes. That's no right. heart attack. I love it. <laughs> Good stuff. So Joe Spinell is great. He's one of those just great 70s character actors. Yeah. Always played a mobster or a load shark yep. or just someone very loud. Or a Which is what killer. he is here. Yeah. yeah. So here he is Squeeze-It's father, who no, does, not- says he's not Squeeze-It's father, <laughs> yeah. but is just laughing the entire time. And basically the mother brings him in to say, look at here, it's Chicken Boy. And Squeeze-It <laughs> is like sleeping with chickens. <laughs> and they're laughing at him. And he's like, this isn't mine. I don't have any chicken in me. <laughs> and they're just laughing it up, making fun of Squeeze-It. <laughs> Which ends, of course, in a rape joke. Flash then no, calls, no. just gets a phone and calls him from the Forbidden Zone. This is my favorite dialogue in the movie, though, right now. <laughs> this is my favorite dialogue in the movie. Because you see that Flash just walks over. He's in the sixth dimension. walks over to grab a phone. Cuts back to squeeze it, who's got now a big phone right next to him. So you're like, okay, this is who he's going to call. Because that's just good storytelling. The phone rings. Squeeze it goes, hello. That cuts back to the old man who's playing the young boy Flash. He says, hey, yeah. Squeeze it? Yeah. You got to come down. But 
He didn't mean to throw in those yeahs. You saw the actor working through his lines. It's the best. I fucking rewound it three times. It's the best. Better than anything the Kipper Kids have ever done on purpose. Ouch to the Kipper Kids. Oh, yeah. All day on the Kipper Kids. So squeeze it. It's squeeze it to the rescue. Because, again, we have these sort of silent movie titles that pop up. And one of them says, squeeze it to the rescue. So he's going to go and rescue Frenchie and rescue Gramps and rescue Flash. But he immediately is like as soon as he steps into the Forbidden Zone, he gets captured and put in front of the Devil. Yeah. And the Devil is played by... Danny Elfman, hey. who sings a variation on Minnie the Moocher. So again, more Cab Calloway. And basically, Squeeze It tries to make a deal and kidnaps the princess for him. But the devil, played by Danny Elfman, kidnaps, Squeeze It, and Squeeze It. Or a double crosses Squeeze It and cuts off his head. Yep. Danny Elfman, this is like probably the best scene in the movie. Sure. He is so freaking good. Yeah, he goes he, for it. Again, Joe Spinell, Susan Tyrell, Danny Elfman. Those are the three people who have... what they can do to actually play a big character and play to the camera and play to the audience and no one in this movie has anything resembling those kind of talent we have the queen is now getting a massage by a yodeler this is richard elfman he's he's doing the yiddish charleston as he's massaging her i i did i did like the yiddish parts i don't know something something stuck with me the king, uh, Fausto, Hervé, Felices, he frees Frenchie to save her from the queen, who is ready to kill her. But as they are escaping, Renee, this is Squeeze-It's sister, gets pseudo-menstrual cramps. This is that, like, they thought that would be fun. Uh, it isn't. And Frankie is captured. So it looks as though uh, she's done. Uh, the king is like, what, what happened to my Frenchie? But squeeze its head flies in with what I thought were angel wings, but I think they might actually be chicken wings, possibly. Now, now, now that I think about it, <laughs> it's chicken wings. A chicken. So his head flies in to tell the king that he needs to go save Frenchie. We get a simulated gang rape to death. That's the way the queen is murdering people by yes. throwing them in with a bunch of people wearing fezes. Yes. So more of just this horribly offensive racial stereotypes. Basically in, in any non-white other is a yeah. rapist. Right, 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 right. So And all the whites are too. Yeah, pretty much. So there you go. Uh the frog butler gets kicked in the balls and he falls off the edge of the stage. I don't know. There's just an edge, and he falls off yeah. of it. That's all you need to know. The ex-queen returns. This is Viva, again, the ex-Warhol uh, superstar. She changed her Tampax. She and the queen get into a cat fight with literal cat noises. Mm-hmm. Meow, 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 meow. The queen wins, uh, kills the ex-queen, but she stops before killing Frenchie. But in so all of a sudden, the mom walks in, sees Flash on the ground, thinks that the Flash has been murdered by the queen, and she just pulls out a gun and shoots the queen. The queen's boob pops out? Yes. A lot of boob popping out in this scene. She has a very long death scene with a lot of boobies popping out. And she eventually dies and is pushed over the same edge. And she's over the edge. And Renee, the- who has been chained up this whole time, actually wants death and jumps in with the cell with everybody wearing the feds and says, Oh, beat me. Oh, kill me. Oh, fuck that asshole. And willfully gets gang raped. Mm, there you it's go. Death. Good times. Uh, the title says, with Queen gone, the Forbidden Zone plunges into mourning. But, of course, it is actually a splashy musical finale. Frenchie is now the queen. She is living happily in the sixth dimension with King Fausto. 
And they're headed off to conquer the galaxy, I guess. Okay. Uh, everyone, it's one of those big kind of last musical numbers. Everyone gets a, a thing. Even the dead people like they're, get a verse. Yeah. Uh, it kind of goes around, goes around, catches everybody up. And then that's it. Boom. Movie over. Like literally movie over. Done. I got deleted scenes. Did you get deleted? There were scenes? deleted scenes. Yeah. And one I of the deleted scenes. Watch any no, of them. No reason to. One of the deleted scenes I would just say is that the fa- the the grandfather who comes in and gives them some whispers some sort of advice mm-hmm. and then they go off and then just don't follow any advice or do anything. Uh, he gives them the advice to go to the queen and join join or join the king's army. Mm. Which is why they end up in the trophy room or, or the uh, throne room or wherever they. Oh, are. Okay. Okay. Um, but <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. No, 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 the the deleted scenes I did not really offer you anything. All right, that's the forbidden zone, Daniel. That is the forbidden zone. Well, is it the forbidden zone or just forbidden? It's zone? just forbidden zone. It's so it's just like talking heads, zone. not the talking heads. There's no the. There's no the. That's just forbidden. There's no there. Corky, final thoughts on Forbidden Zone before we give our rating. I've seen drag queens less sexually charged up and campy than this movie. Um, like I said, this movie is vulgar, lowbrow, creative, yeah, and cheap. Yeah, I, it was it was hard to get through. It was hard to get through. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was that hard to get through. I, I as soon like I said, as soon as I flipped it over to the black and white, it at least made sense to me. I, I was it was tough sledding the first ten or fifteen minutes watching it in color and just seeing how cheap and bad everything looked. And black and white worked for me. I watched it in color. Why? Because it was okay. I mean, it was just in color. No, it wasn't. What do you mean? <laughs> it wasn't okay. I mean, if you, would you watch Citizen Kane in color? No, fuck no. Well, that's just it. The movie was shot in black and white. Why would you watch it? Willfully watch it in color? Uh, I'll show you the color that I watched. It's not that bad. Nah, it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's just a film that I don't know. It it, it you kind of want it to be more clever because it isn't clever at all. But cleverness would actually ruin any kind of magic that the movie kind of has. There was also talk for a long time of, of Richard making a sequel, and he's done a lot of crowdfunding to make Forbidden Zone 2 happen. And it's kind of like, I don't know if you can capture that again. I don't know if you can capture whatever kind of magic they captured for this movie. Because you're really trying to intentionally make a outsider art movie. You're trying yeah. to make something that is insane, but you're not insane. You're perfectly sane. So, it, I don't know. It's just... Trying to do that again and trying to capture it again. I don't know. I don't know that they captured any magic. I mean, movie got ignored. It got panned and then ignored. But so it, it didn't get ignored. It got a second life as a, a kind of cult movie and a midnight movie and a movie that has been shown a lot in, in you know theaters. Yeah, over yeah but not be like, hey, this is great. So it's not, I, I guess the magic, I, I'm, I'm struggling to see like what's magical about what they captured. It's got eight reviews. It's not like a clamoring no, I just mean the actual the movie itself. I just I think there there is some kind of magic in this movie and just how feverish it is and how insane it is. Like and I think as I was trying to say earlier, if more of these things connected and more of these jokes like landed and and it had more of a shape to it, like it would actually be worse. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> I get what you're saying. It would, it, this movie is magic because it, it just feels like 
it was shot over three fucking years. You can't force by that. all these different elements, and and you can't just come back with like the budget for it and come back and try to recreate that because it will just look as like what I thought the colorized version yeah. looked like, which is just a cheap movie. So, Corky, let's give our ratings for Forbidden Zone, Run of the Mill Bad Film, A Dare, Next Level Bad, Double Dare, and a movie we actually kind of like, Reverse Dare. Corky, your rating. Oh, uh, it's a Double Dare. Uh, double c- Dare? Yeah, it's a Double Dare. Like, I, if in my head I could say, well, I could call it a Dare because uh, I appreciated the effort. I appreciated that if this were live, I might be, like, not even just, like, tolerating. I might be into it if it was live. But it's not good as a movie. It's not I, 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 I don't like calling it a movie because it's just a strung together bits of this musical theater troupe with this really just poor choices of filming and humor and editing and lighting and the acting is so awful. I, I can't recommend people watch this. I recommend people watch it in black and white. In color, it is, I agree, a piece of garbage. But if you watch it the correct way as I did, then I think it would come across for you. I hesitate to give it a reverse stare, though, because like I said, I didn't really like it. I'm really glad I saw it. I've been wanting to see this movie ever since I heard about it back in the 80s. But at the same time, dare doesn't really seem right because it's it's anything but run-of-the-mill. It's not double dare because I think, really think people should check this movie out. I'll give it a reverse stare just because it, it does it does what it sets out to do. It pushes the envelope. It pushes the boundaries. And it has a few really good scenes. I would really stump for the Danny Elfman scene. Uh, the yeah. Manny the Moocher scene is really the best thing going on in this movie. And I think Susan Tyrell gets some good stuff too. So I'll go reverse there. All right. That's all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel. But we'll be back in two weeks to review another of your movie dares. Until then, send your most sadistic or altruistic movie dares to us at daredaniel.com. And be sure to follow Dare Daniel Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can read more of my movie reviews on the Dare Daniel website at daredaniel.com. Corky, where can people find you crawling through a giant intestine? You can find me crawling through a giant intestine, uh, but I'll be going back up the other way because I'm getting to that schoolhouse, baby. I'm going to shoot some dice in the back. I'm going to dance a little with the teacher, getting a little shootout. Mannequins. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and for Dare Daniel, I'm Daniel Barnes. And I'm Corky McDonald saying just wait till those dead babies start marching. (laughs) 